my friend called me, a partner in ministry, and said, turn on the news. So, of course, I turn it on and find out that this airplane hit one of the buildings. At that point, we had no idea. We didn't think anything about anything as far as a terrorist attack or anything. We just thought maybe there was a fire or some accident and so forth. And uh, then we found out the second plane hit. Then it started to become clear, wait, this isn't just an accident in a building. So my wife was dropping my son off. I tried to call my wife. At this point, all of the cell phones were jammed, so we couldn't communicate. At some point, I'm just like, well, I'm going to jump on the subway and go down and get him out of school because I didn't know what was coming next at this point. So I jump on the subway, and probably halfway there, subway stopped. Everything stops heading downtown. So we're sitting in a tunnel for literally 45 minutes just waiting. Once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered innocent Islamic people extremists now control terrorists. much of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. News flash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. All right, we have a special guest in the studio today, Kevin King with New York City International Project. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. All right, so what makes it international? Well, we're working with internationals and immigrants from all over the world. So really, our whole ministry is focused toward reaching out to people who come, either temporarily as students or who are immigrating here. Some people are here and they're planning to live for the rest of their life. Other people come here, their entire family's back in their country. They're just trying to make some money to send it back and to support them. And so do you work with churches or is it uh, just you guys, your, 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 um, what would your ministry, is that what they do? Just uh, um, meet with immigrants or is it uh, uh, something that you try to get other churches to get involved in? Um, well, we, we have a philosophy of ministry where we're trying to, to start churches and see churches highly reproducible, multiply, and so forth. So we have a very different paradigm of church that's very simple. We're trying to ask the question, what's the basic essence? What's the very essence of what the church is with no additions? And we're trying to live that out. So we're not doing the whole building thing, no programs. We're just trying to live as a body of Christ. So we we have a network of house churches. Um, We do partner with other churches in, in in areas of outreach, but as far as when we see people come to Christ, we're really trying to have them reach their friends and family, see a new church started. We're not even necessarily trying to invite them into our house church. We're just trying to we're trying to find these people of peace who will gather their friends and family together, start a discovery Bible study where they're they're studying the Word of God, and then see them eventually become a church. So, would you say that you guys are church planters? Right, we're church planters. Wow, that's really interesting. So you're starting you're you're starting a house church movement in New York. We're, well, we're seeking to start a house church movement in New York, but we're also, our, our real vision is to see churches started as a result. Um, and I shouldn't say real vision, but I should say another part of our vision mm. is to see churches started as the, the gospel spreads and is carried back relationally through relational lines in different countries. And we've seen um, five different churches started in different countries as a result. So interesting. Um, so immigrants will come, right, to New York. It's, it's filled with immigrants. You reach out to them. 
And then as you disciple them and plant the church through them, uh, then when they go back, they kind of, they're equipped. They, they do that. They go and plant churches in their own home countries. Right. So either uh, they go back and they start churches or they stay and through the relationships and communication or visits, a church is started. Okay, so it sounds like there's a huge shift even with globalization, transnational communities. You have social media. You have ways that they communicate back home. So they, they maintain those connections when they come and they live here. And through those connections, you're saying you make disciples who in turn make disciples. And some of those disciples are actually across the sea and they're being made via social media, telephone, Skype. Exactly. Facebook. I mean, that's our vision. And we're, we're seeking to see that happen more and more. So thinking in terms of, of, of Muslims, New York City, I mean, immediately what comes to my mind, it can't help it, is 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, were you in New York City on 9-11? And if so, what was the, the feeling from people in New York? Yeah, actually, um, we were in New York City, and um, I live in Manhattan, and it happened in lower Manhattan. And my, my son was actually going to school fairly close to the building down downtown, and uh, uh, the, what was the reaction of the people? Or well, I, I kind of want to hear that story. What What was your feelings like with you on that day? Oh my goodness! I mean, your son's downtown. You wake up, see this going on. Everybody kind of remembers where they were. Yeah. So I woke up. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was doing something. I don't remember what I was doing. But my friend called me, a partner in ministry, and said, "Turn on the news." So of course I turn it on, and find out that this airplane hit one of the buildings. At that point, we had no idea. We didn't think anything about anything as far as a terrorist attack or anything. We just thought maybe there was a fire or some accident and so forth. And uh, then we found out the second plane hit. Then it started to become clear, wait, this isn't just an accident in a building. So my wife was dropping my son off. I tried to call my wife. At this point, all of the cell phones were jammed, so we couldn't communicate. At some point, I'm just like, well, I'm going to jump on the subway and go down and get him out of school because I didn't know what was coming next at this point. So I jump on the subway, and probably halfway there, subway stop. Everything stops heading downtown. So we're sitting in a tunnel for literally 45 minutes just Waiting, And everybody knows this is going on, but we're just all in a tunnel because they're not letting any more trains go downtown. You know what I mean? Is there uh, hysteria at this point with people? Well, I mean, People are I'd... starting to, you know, not hysteria, but there's definitely, I, I think there's a good number of people on the train who didn't turn on the news in the morning. And then there's those who are talking about it, what's going on. The train stops. It takes us about 30 minutes before they get us to a platform. They let us all off. Um, and so I'm at this point, I'm like, okay, I still need to get down there. My son's at school. Um, I go up to someone in someone's car and I say, hey, can you give me a ride? You heading downtown? And they said, yeah, jump in. Because now it's becoming, I get off. So I got on the train and the buildings were on fire. I get off the train and I hear on the news, on the radio, this guy has it on. And it says the World Trade Towers are no more. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's an exaggeration. I mean, I know they're on fire. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But you're, how you're can thinking, they be no more? Yeah. yeah what, Classic what, what, media exaggeration. What does that mean? Yeah, here. exactly. All right. Come on. Stop being so extreme. That, so I was just thinking it was – I didn't know any, so anything about what actually happened. So the guy um, heads downtown. He was heading down. gets to a point where the police say you can't go any further. They're not letting cars. So now I jump out of the car, and I'm running through the, the street, you know, and I've – 
I, I'm used to running, so I, I do, you know, run in the park and so forth. But now I'm thinking, okay, I have to run another mile or so down to my son's school. I'm running down, and there's just herds of people all on the street walking. I mean, like quickly. Uh, towards uh, I'm towards assuming you. in the opposite getting, direction. Getting uptown. Right. Getting uptown. Right. Because downtown, everybody's like, this is a target zone. You know what I mean? Who knows what's going to happen? Wall Street's down there. You know what I mean? So uh, finally get to the school. And I said, I'm, I, I, I want to get my son. They said, your wife took him about an hour ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And you still haven't had contact with him. I ha- the cell phones are completely oh, jammed. Man. I had no contact with her. There's a whole other story about what happened to her because she had gone all the way uptown, then dropped him off, went all the way uptown, and then found out what was happening. She ended up ha- – she had to walk like 50 blocks back downtown to get him. Anyway, by the time I got there, she was gone. Um, it was like – it really was like a movie. I mean, at this point, there is dust, clouds of dust right. filling the air. There's cop cars and fire engines and, you know, streaming down the streets. I finally I come out and there's this car with dust all over it. And I said, hey, you guys, can I get a ride with you uptown? And they said, we were just about to go to into the building. They work in the towers. And they said, you know, and our car was parked right there. And we ended up getting out of there. So I, I hitched a ride with them to a certain point. I left at nine, like I think it was probably nine o'clock in the morning to go get him. I finally got home at three because all the transportation was dead. So you're walking everywhere. It was just an absolutely crazy day. I mean, to make a long story short, it was a crazy. It was like a horror movie. It was just absolutely crazy. And your son, um, does he still remember that day? I don't know. He was probably, it was preschool at the time. He was probably four. So he probably wasn't really aware of what was happening. Right. I don't right. think he was completely aware of what was happening. I'm, I'm really tempted to sidetrack here and just go for a moment that you actually invented Uber, where you kind of just share a ride. <laughs> like you're the, yeah, that yeah, was the, that was my, invention. you had that moment. Yeah. I don't know. I have this, they charged we don't, me. We don't want to generalize here, but I'm, I'm just thinking New York City. There is sort of uh because we we only hear about, from other people about New York City, but there's a kind of a thought that man, New York City wouldn't just ask a stranger for a ride. You so know, so help bust our paradigms here. Well, What's New I York think, City really like? I think you wouldn't you normally wouldn't ask a stranger for a ride, but it's just really at this time everybody was kind of it felt like okay, we're all in this together. Right. Jump in the car. You know what I mean? It was like a it just it just changed the whole mood of the city and Everybody was helping each other out and working together. And you could probably go up to any car and say, hey, can I jump in? They'd be like, yeah, jump in. It was just completely like New York City was gone. At the, I mean, gone in as far as the way we operated normally. And now we're all in this together and we're helping each other out. So this is, I think, for listeners, something that we need to take into consideration when we think about Muslims sometimes. Sometimes utter chaos in a feeling of a togetherness when somebody else is sharing in a suffering can actually draw people much closer together and dividing walls come down boundaries come down and you actually link together under whatever it is that unified sort of we're in this together we're new yorkers that's the identity crisis that the muslim world is facing right now because they're trying to figure out are we a unified muslim community and hearing you kind of tell that story from a new yorker's perspective wow it kind of it sheds light on the power of that sort of connection that you had with those people that you didn't even know so the show wouldn't be possible without sponsors and this week's sponsors are Zwammer Center. 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 Zwamm
Zwaymer Center. And what does the Zwaymer Center do? Uh, talks about Muslims and, and tells them on the computer that we love you. Very nice. The Zwemmer Center equips the church to reach Muslims. The Zwemmer Center has been educating people about reaching Muslims before it was cool. Hearing you kind of tell that story from a New Yorker's perspective, wow, it kind of it sheds light on the power of that sort of connection that you had with those people that you didn't even know. And, and not only was there this whole new atmosphere of coming together in unity, but then in with these horrific things happening around us, there was this spiritual... Um, a, re, a revived spiritual sensitivity and openness mm. that there wasn't before, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying it lasted super long, but it probably lasted four to six months, possibly. You know what I mean? Where there was just people, you could to get into a spiritual conversation after nine eleven was like so easy. It just happened. You it just, just like, happens. Yeah. I mean, people yeah. were just ready to, because life and death and and the real and and. In New York City, probably different than anywhere else, people are for a good six months. People are on the subway, on the subway, and it stops for maybe there's like a, a traffic jam or something, and people are starting to like get jittery. Like people are wow. I mean, so the aftershock, the after effects, just the after effects, and numerous times I was on the subway and they had to stop because there were like fears of bombs, scares, and Whoa. so forth. So I think we call that PTSD. I mean, that's what that's what it sounds like. This yeah, post traumatic yeah, right, stress. Right. I mean, post traumatic. Yeah, right. Wow. And and it there was a like this citywide, wow. you know, post traumatic stress that was, you know. Uh, now, now there's a lot. Obviously, there's a lot of immigrants that come into New York, uh, New York City, and your ministry. Obviously, um, you deal with a lot of them. Um, did Did you see any ill effects that have come from nine eleven to uh, these Muslims? Um, that they were kind of dealing with on a daily basis that had kind of changed the culture of New York? Uh, you know, I, I could. I, what I can say is that I think after 9-11, I can definitely notice that in churches, you know, I interact with churches inside the city, and well, mostly outside the city, but I do interact with churches some inside the city, but I definitely have noticed a change in the way Christians view Muslims after 9-11, um, and it, it's it's not for the good. It's they, um, They're viewing Muslims more from a perspective of fear rather than from a perspective of the gospel. You know what I mean? Right. Um, do, you have any, do you have any interactions that you can think of that uh, brought you to this conclusion? I don't know if I could... I don't know if I could give a story that's worth... Just comments that people make. Um, just off the about, cuff about immigrants that well they shouldn't be here you know or just this sense of we need to keep them out um, we need to this idea this feeling this these comments here and there that the Muslim is the enemy um, and and I think this is coming and it also flows out of this feeling like um, you know they're, they're not only the enemy of Christianity they're the enemy of America and there's this almost like this false patriotism like where we just need to, they're the enemy, we need to keep them out. And I think people are thinking more from the perspective, and I, and I do think it's a false patriotism, but more from the perspective of their citizenship within the U.S. versus their citizenship in heaven. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's. Well, I think the, are you saying that you're seeing more of this within the church than you are just with non-believing or non-church-going 
New Yorkers, like the New Yorkers in general aren't like this, but in the churches it seems to be more prevalent? So New York is kind of like a haven where the major message, and this is happening over the U.S., but the major secular message is tolerance. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that they're, that people on the outside communicate this tolerance. It doesn't mean that their internal fears aren't there, but there's this political correctness of tolerance. So it's really hard to tell with just normal people, but as far as what's actually going on. Um, but I definitely see it in the church, especially outside the city, because I'm interacting with a lot more churches outside the city. So I, I don't know if I could um, give an accurate representation of churches in the city, but I would say that probably since New York City is such an international city, people are interacting with Muslims on a daily basis. And what I think most people, what they find is that a lot of their Muslim friends are just as horrified by what happened as they are and just as scared about what's happening and their own insecurities. It's not like these aren't people. Do you know what I mean? It's not like these aren't people with children in the same schools and they love their kids just as much as we do. Right. So I think that probably the advantage that the New Yorker has is that it's such an international city that they realize I you know, I almost feel like people on who aren't around Muslims and aren't around internationals, they almost in a sense, this is going to sound extreme, but they almost, in a, in a sense, forget that these are people right. with feelings, you know what I mean? Like right. who have kids and who actually love their kids just as much as we love our kids. And they have the same insecurities and they have the same desires. They don't, they want peace. And right. so when you interact with regular people who happen to be Muslim in the city, and you're going to the same PTA conference together and yeah. you're working on a project. You see them in a normal context. Yeah, yeah. You, you realize that this is the these are not the enemy. You know what I mean? You're both fighting for healthy school lunches. <laughs> yeah, I mean. right. Right. You know, you're on the same side and so, right. and and I think what we tend to do is uh when you don't have that interaction, your mind is able to create this almost like this monster um and look, I'm not trying, I am not defending terrorism in any way. You, you understand what I mean? Right. I'm just trying to help people to understand that there's a human side to, there's just a human side to every people from every group. And it's almost as if, you know, I've traveled to different countries and sometimes I have to let people know when I travel to a different country, I know you hate America, but there's a difference between the people and the government. You know what I mean? Oh, what the yeah. government does. Right, you know what I mean? right, right. And once we have this relationship, they realize, wow, I'm not the United States government. Well, that's kind of the same way. You know, there's a separation between what's happening in this global political uh, arena and these normal people who are completely separated from it right. and who are just trying to live normal lives. And Yeah, we get so represented by our political governments. Right. So it's interesting. Yeah. Now, now you, you mentioned a funny word. Um, you called it a uh, false patriotism. Can you kind of give us a, a little definition or what you think that is or how you've seen that in a story maybe? Well, I, I, I think, I, I don't know if I can give a story, but I think that... Oh, we have stories, but okay. just go ahead. No, you <laughs> yeah. just get it, go ahead. <laughs> just try to pull a good story out of me or something. <laughs> I, you know, I just think that I say false patriotism because it, in some circles it almost feels like that if you love America then you're against the Muslim. And that is just not, 
it's just a false patriotism. It's, not, it's actually the exact opposite of what America's supposed to be founded upon. It's totally upon. the exact opposite. G- give us an I mean? understanding of America and immigration. What what have we missed here since 9-11 where there's clearly been a shift of anti-immigrant? You live among immigrant communities. You read the scripture through the lens of how does the scripture speak to an immigrant theology? How should we view immigrants, foreigners? Help us help us see that. What is supposed to be our role as Christians when it comes to the foreigner? Yeah, you know, let me just say from— I think that the whole issue of immigration from a political standpoint is complicated. And, and it's interesting because I'm working with internationals who have also have strong feelings about illegal immigration because different people are trying to come in in different ways, and some who are trying to come in through legal channels are upset— so it's not like oh that's interesting. It's not like the 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 non-immigrant is they're the only ones upset with it. So I, the political side, I'm just I, I think I'm just not going to try to go into that because it's too complex. I don't think I understand it fully enough. But it's not as if oh the quote unquote American who was born here is the only one who's against illegal right. Immigration. You're showing the complexity. There's just it's much more complicated right. because yeah, I found that Muslims that come here legally actually are quite frustrated with those that try to go around the system because they make the system more complicated. Exactly. And, it and makes... so, yeah, let's let's avoid the political aspect of, of immigration and groups and ethnicities and races, and let's just talk about a, a biblical, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, what what's my role, what's my responsibility to the immigrant, to the foreigner? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that's interesting in Scripture is that migration, the migration of peoples is— is scattered throughout the scripture. And this whole idea of the alien or the stranger or the foreigner, we see that throughout scripture. And um, I actually think that God uses the migration of people uh, in his plan in in multiple different ways, but one of the primary ways is to see the gospel spread to the nations. And, um, you know, it's interesting—well, look at Solomon in the Old Testament as an example. Um, Solomon was, you know, built the temple— and um, there's now this prayer of dedication, and in this prayer of dedication, he specifically mentions that we should pay attention to the foreigner who's come from a distant land. And this is in Second Chronicles chapter 6, and it says something like this. It says, as for the foreigner who has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you— um, and then it says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. So Solomon says that we should pay attention to the international who has come from a distant land so that all of the earth may know the name of God and fear him. And how does that happen? Well, the international either comes and goes back or they come and they have bridges and connections to people from these different places. Right. It's so weird that when you read scripture, right, you see the immigrant in there. But I re- I've read that passage before, and it's never—like, when you brought it up the other day in chapel, I was just like, I don't think I've ever read that. But I've read it. It just doesn't stick out, you know? So it's really interesting how you're highlighting it and then adding that—not uh, adding, but uh, um, uh, bringing out the emphasis, you know, on the immigrant and, and, and how, you know, that was, a, that was a big deal, you know, in God's eyes. I think it's, it's definitely a big deal because this is the one time where we see Jesus actually turn over tables and get angry is when he's in the temple and the court of Gentiles is made into a den of thieves. Mm-hmm. And he even quotes and says that, that this is meant to be a house of prayer for the nations, hmm. and they've turned it into a den of thieves. And it's, it's interesting that the temple always had that court that was set aside specifically for the foreigner. 
And there's all of these places in Scripture within Levitical law where we're supposed to take care of, watch out for the foreigner when they come, take them in, be kind to them, their guest. And what makes me really sad is that it seems like the Muslim community has kept this sort of uh, culture of caring for the guest. And the Christian community, at least in the West, has, has for a great deal lost it. Uh, totally. I mean, the the Muslims from different countries that we interact with, th- their level of hospitality puts us to shame, you know, in the church. Right. I mean, you are, when you enter their home, you are welcome. I mean, we have Muslim friends, we go over their homes often, and it's just, there's just a culture of hospitality, and um, it's just, yeah, I mean, I'm just totally agreeing with you, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, our whole ministry— let me just, can I just share what Acts chapter two, as I think is a great example, you know, in Acts chapter two, um, we think of Acts chapter two. And if you were to ask someone, oh, what's it about? Some people will say, well, it's the beginning of the church. Some people say that, you know, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, right. all that stuff. When, and that's, you know, probably all, that's all true. <laughs> but really you look at Acts chapter two and in, it says in Acts chapter two, it says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So Jerusalem at this time was this international city where people were migrating or traveling to, and then they were going back in, you know, to their countries and so forth. So it was a very international city with foreigners from all different lands. And, you know, the apostles start to, to share the gospel. And the miracle of Pentecost is a miracle of God reaching the nations who are in Jerusalem. All right, this week's sponsors. CIU. CIU. CIU educates people from a bib- biblical biblical world review world view world w- world view yeah, CIU educates people from a biblical world view to impact the nations with the message of Christ. And that's why it says all of these how is it that all of the all of us hear them speaking in our own native tongues? 3,000 people get saved on that one day, 3,000 internationals. And and this was this is God's way of seeing the gospel taken to the nation. And I think migration, if you were to, if we were to do a lay out a deep study, we would see that migration is a major part of God's plan to see the gospel taken to the nations. So we need to take advantage of this rather than see the Muslim from our political false, you know, patriotism or political standpoint or personal standpoint. We need to realize that God has brought these people to us, and we have an incredible opportunity. And in Deuteronomy 10, God says, you need to love the foreigner among you. Um, as I, and he talks about how he loves the foreigner. Anyway, it's just um, it's such a huge opportunity that the church is oftentimes missing, I think. Yeah, you mentioned uh, yesterday in your chapel message that uh, um, there's this um, vulnerability um, that the foreigner is exposed to, like being in a new place, in a new land, a spiritual receptivity. Uh, kind of explain that a little bit because, uh, you know, uh, you deal with immigrants all the time. So when they come over to the U.S., um, what are generally their feelings? What are the, what are they going through? Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a big question because, I mean, I can basically summarize it. I've traveled to different places, and I don't know <laughs> I've traveled to different places and you're there, you just get there and you don't know the simplest things. Like sometimes I go and buy something and they'll say, 
you know, whatever the, the currency is, they'll say it's this much and I'll pull the money and they'll see me kind of looking, trying to right. figure is out. Is this right? Okay, is this? You and, hold out a big hand of change and you just kind of let them take it. There's exactly a deep right. sense of trust there. There totally is. So you're just that like, vulnerability. You're totally. And so you hand this big one, is this good? And they're like, uh, and you know what? They always, you, what I find is when I travel to these places, especially Muslim countries, you hand out this big wad of money and they just take out this little bit. Right, right, right. I've done that before. It's, <laughs> you know it's, I mean? it's funny. Well, that, just to think about the vulnerability of that situation, our kids do that now. Oh, right, right, right. It's $2 yeah. and they're like, I don't know what that Here's is. Here's a 20. <laughs> just hand them a 20 is this and good? let them right. do the math. And they treat you like a small child too, so they don't want to steal from you. They're like, here you go, poor, poor that, guy. That's you know? exactly what it is. So imagine you multiply that by 1,000. How do I find a dentist? How do I? Oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? How do I? How do I navigate the healthcare? How do I? Yeah. I mean, there's just so many issues. And then, seriously, my international friends, they go into a restaurant just to order a pizza and they're like, and remember, in New York City, there's big lines. You have to go quick. Oh, the, right. And, and so they're actually afraid to go in and just order a pizza because they ask or order a sub, you know, something from Subway because they're like, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want? And it's just too fast. They can't quite get it. Right. And so there's just this general fear of doing the most basic things. So all of that to say you have an extreme vulnerability. They're self-conscious about their English. They don't understand the culture. They don't know if they understand the appropriate ways to say thank you or to interact or what should I put my feet here or my hands there? Oh, or, right. You know, right, right. all of these things that just come so naturally to us. So it creates this incredible vulnerability. So these are incredibly courageous people, but they're incredibly, incredibly vulnerable. And when you have people who are this vulnerable and, and are forced to have this kind of humility, there just becomes an incredible spiritual receptivity. They're open to new ideas. They're open to learn new things because they have to. Um, they're open to new ideas because they're seeking to learn your culture and your life and so forth. So I just think that people who are in this kind of vulnerable, humble situation just have a, a new openness um, to the gospel than people who aren't. And what we're finding is, you know, I interact with people who are doing ministry overseas, and, and I also interact with people who are doing ministry to American students, for instance, on campus. And, you know, we have about 150 unbelievers in Bible studies from all different countries. There's just a receptivity that—and I think it's due to this vulnerability and just being the foreigner. So well, I, I think God uses that. So— 150 unbelievers 150 in Bible studies. Right. Every week. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, you did mention earlier discovery Bible studies, and I think a lot of people are kind of wondering, what exactly is a discovery Bible I, study? I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to tell you? Yeah. What? What? Is, what? Because I want to do it. I want to like. I want to bring that into Howard my community. Wants to discover what it is. Well, no, I mean, not for myself, but like, well, I, you know, there's immigrants everywhere, and it's like, how do I engage? It's overwhelming, and where do I find them? And you know, so th there's a lot I we can get from you. So. Well, we do this church planting training in New York City called Equip, and you know, it's amazing. We are so used to thinking from our Western American individualistic, you know, paradigm that. There's just so many things. So one of the things that we've changed, um, just as far as starting Discovery Bible Studies, we're trying to understand that the people that we're interacting with come from very communal um, uh, cultures and so forth and worldviews. And so it used to be—this isn't direct—I'm going to get to the Discovery Bible Studies. This, this <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm just kind of talking about some other stuff right now. But yeah. give me—go give, for it. Go give for me it. a little—be hey, yeah. patient. Right. Um, so it used to be we'd meet somebody— 
and we'd be having coffee with them and we'd find out that they're spiritually interested. And, we, and I would say, oh, I have a Bible study. You want to come join it? And they would say, oh, yeah, great. And they would come. We don't do that anymore. And it's made a huge change. Now we find someone who's spiritually interested. And instead of saying, do you want to come? We say, hey, why don't you gather together three or four of your friends and then we can start a Bible study? Oh, this kind of sounds like Jesus's model. I don't just throw that out there. <laughs> I mean, he, he did that, you know. No big deal. <laughs> it's you know, it's amazing. You know, it's that it actually people actually do it. And I think that we're thinking, oh, we, you know, I would never ask my friends to join a Bible study, or an American student wouldn't do that. But we go to our international friends and we say, hey, why don't you gather your family together and we'll start a Bible study, and they do it. Yeah, and they're just like, yeah, sure, of course. They're totally that, like that. Totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ask my friends. They're all curious. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's not even like yeah, ask them to study the Bible. Sure, why not? It's not it's not even a second yeah. thought. And from that, so we're not only reaching people, but we're reaching their community. There, we call it like their oikos, their household. Their mm. so we're reaching oikos, nice. Yeah, their 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 friends and their family and so forth, and and so that's how we start these discovery Bible studies. And then so the whole idea of the discovery Bible study. Um, is we're trusting, we're opening up, there's actually a process and there's like about seven different parts that are highly reproducible that are part of a discovery Bible study that you probably don't want me to go fully into that, all of that. Oh, is this, is this David Watson's discovery Bible study? So what we'll do for those of you that are like, man, I need to understand the steps. We're going to put a link, David Watson's uh, discovery Bible studies material, and then you'll be able to download. I think they have a PDF online that goes through the whole, the whole process. And so it's, I actually think the PDF is way too long. I think you could be summarized (laughs) in two pages. All right. Well, we're going to have our guest uh, put it together in a two-page summary for you. <laughs> Kevin King will release Because the, the PDF is like 60 pages. That doesn't seem I don't know. Simple. I've never actually read it. It's too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's terrible. But um, basically, we're, we're, we're having people go through different passages, and we're trying to teach as little as possible, and we're trying to have them discover what the Word of God says. And you know what? And we're trusting the Holy Spirit to guide them and— and we're trusting that they're going to understand the main big ideas correctly. And you know what? They usually do. And we're seeing more people come to faith this way than when we were teachers and so forth. And it's far more reproducible because what we've seen is we've seen people who are a part of Discovery Bible Studies go back to their countries, never being trained on how to do it, and they start Discovery Bible Studies. One of the things that we do is I'll facilitate the Discovery Bible Study that I, that I start with this group. I'll do it for two weeks, and then I'll tell them up front. I say on the third week, I'm not going to lead the Bible study anymore, and I'll have this person, and then or, or they'll take turns. So from the beginning, after the first two weeks, I'm not leading the study. I'm not facilitating it. Someone, Some unbeliever in the group is. So they've done this week after week after week. They go back to their country, and the idea of starting a Bible study, yeah, I can lead this. But that's insane. The third week. Third week. I said, third week. I'm going to model third week. We tell the people coming through equipped. I said, look. By the third week, have them doing it. And if it's not by the third week, you better have them leading it by the fourth week. So Anybody can lead a discovery Bible study. So the the, the big naysayer is going to say, well, three weeks, you're going to have people producing heresy and everything else under the sun. What's what's the response? I, let, let, me, let me give you a response by analogy. Can I do that? Absolutely. Um, it, sometimes when I go to churches, you know, once I was in a church and I was sharing how we do these discovery Bible studies, and we actually try to have them done in the language of the people. So, for instance, it might be in, in whatever language. 
And I was I started a Bible study and with a group of Chinese students on campus, and I was telling this story at a church, and someone said, "Oh, do you speak Chinese?" And I said, "No." And they said, "Well, then who's leading the Bible study? Who who is you know how do you know if they're understanding it correctly?" And I said, "I I don't." All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where, if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you want to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. How do you know if they're understanding it correctly? And I said, I I don't. Let me just say that I'm not going to tell that story anymore when I go speak at a church. (laughs) But let me just say this. What I did say is, I said, how many people here have heard of the Gideons? And everybody, and I said, who who loves the ministry of the Gideons? And everybody's like, oh, we love the ministry of the Gideons. And the Gideons, it's great when we hear of someone in their hotel who picks up the word of God, reads it, and then they become believers. And then I say, but aren't we afraid that some unbeliever in a hotel is going to pick up the Bible and wrongly understand it? Can we really leave Bibles out there for people to read if we don't think... If they don't have a teacher with them, wow. no, because we're trusting that the word of God and the Holy Spirit is powerful and that God can bring people to faith through it. And the Gideon, that's the Whoa. that's the premise of the Gideon ministry. Right. And we're just doing that with groups. Yeah. yeah, but the Gideon Bible's in English, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> Not Chinese. That's right, that's it's, right. King, it's King James. Yeah. Well, there you <laughs> that, go. That has to count for something. <laughs> right, right. So that's a great point. I remember as a young uh believer being out on the field in India and this guy said, Well, we're gonna go plant a church today, and I thought, What? And going out into this village and him planning a church and having this guy lead Bible. I said, well, how, you know, where did he go to seminary? How long has he, he didn't been to seminary? He'd never been trained. And I thought, well, what about all the heresy? And he said, of course, there'll be some heresy. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. And I'll disciple him through that. And I thought, well, there you go. That takes I, the pressure off. I, I like that. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. <laughs> right. You, you, know? Know, you know what? You know what happened? And in, in I would I'm going to say it's probably all, all of them. But let me just say almost. Do you know what happened in almost every church that Paul started? Heresy. Heresy. Right. Exactly. I love Corinthians. It's great. That's (laughs) why we have the New Testament. So I try to explain to people, look, I'm not promoting heresy. I'm just saying, yes, it's going to happen, but God's bigger than that. And then we deal with the heresy in different ways. But what we don't do is we don't restrict all teaching to this high sacred teacher. Right. Everybody has to go through him. I mean, you know, look, I have a lot of friends who are Catholics who who are true believers. I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, but you know there was a time when the Catholic Church wouldn't allow people to have the scriptures because right. they needed a priest to interpret it for them. Right, and you know we just don't believe that. We believe that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that God can use that and transform people's lives, and we're seeing Him do it in groups, and we're actually seeing that when people read the scripture and do these discovery Bible studies, that the main ideas. They're getting completely clear. Right. So like, for instance, we'll go over Genesis 1. The main thing we want them to get is that God created the world. Genesis 3. The main thing we want them to get is that people disobeyed God and now things are bad. You know, so these are the big ideas from passages. People are getting it and they're they're drawing close to Christ. Yeah, I, I'm sure I don't need to point this out, but I feel like I need to for those that are like stirring in their seats right now. You guys are walking with them in life. Like you're making disciples. You're not just sort of dropping in, dropping a Bible off and taking off. Like Absolutely. you're actually doing life with these We're folks doing life and with you're these training people. them, you're equipping them, and then you're actually making disciples who in turn make disciples. Make disciples. Right. Yeah. yeah. This isn't, I mean, absolutely. 
So help us understand what's going on positive uh, among Muslims in New York City, because we need to hear more and more encouraging things about what God's doing in the Muslim community in America, because that's I think that will help disarm some of our fears about, oh, all these Muslims are coming. Well, if we looked at it from the lens what you're putting on, which is basically saying it's a good thing these Muslims are coming, they're here, we can share the gospel with them. Is God doing anything amongst groups there uh, in New York City through Equip? Let me say that anybody who's listening, if they are involved in Muslim ministry, they their whole perspective of understanding these people is going to completely change. First, let me just say that, and they're going to see these people as normal, everyday people who have the same desires, cares, you know, wants that that we have. Um, so, and I say that because in any group, any group that you do ministry with, you're going to have people who reject it and people who receive it. You're going to have people who are interested and people who aren't interested. You're going to have people who want to study more and then people who completely resist it. So that's normal. That happens in any ministry. It happens. We have a team reaching out to Tibetans. We have a team reaching, you know, international students on campus. And, you know, some of those are from China. It's with any culture. Um, We have, we just have, we actually have some amazing, we actually have right now, we have one of our teammates. uh, We've had this relationship with a Muslim community center in one of the neighborhoods in, in New York city. And one of our teammates went to the community center. We have this relationship, and they said, we'd like to do an art workshop. And then the, the head of the, this Muslim woman, who's the head of the whole center, said, that sounds great. Um, and the girl said, well, let me just explain, because when I do my art workshops, I really ex- it's all about um, how my life has changed and how God and, and Jesus Christ has changed my life. And the, the director was like, that sounds great. And <laughs> Really? Yeah, and then she said, she said, she stopped her and she said, no, I just need to make it clear that when I do the art workshop, I share a lot about Jesus Christ and how he's changed my life. And she said, great. Now they're doing an art. <laughs> they're doing an art workshop. And it's amazing. You have 60, 70 high school Muslim girls completely covered sitting in rows as as our teammate is just sharing through art how Jesus Christ has changed her life. And you see. People who this aren't blowing do, my mind right people now. who don't do Muslim ministry would never imagine that you can have this kind of relationship. One of the things that's a, that that is so refreshing about working with Muslim people is it's so easy to get into a spiritual conversation with Muslim people, whereas you talk to any other American on the streets and oh they don't what are you crazy for bringing up God? I don't yeah, want to talk private. about it. It's, it's private. private. You know right. what I mean? That's, that's none of your business. Yeah. You talk to a Muslim and they, they are open and they want to talk about God. And so it's just, it's really refreshing, really fun. And to get into a spiritual conversation, um, it's just, it's just so easy. So we're seeing lots of spiritual conversations happen. Um, we had one of our teammates, this was about a month ago. It's just awesome. He's friends with this guy, Mohammed. They're reaching out to West African Muslims in the city. And uh, he he was was on the street in Harlem, and he thought he saw Mohammed. So he went up to him and put his hand on his shoulder and said, Mohammed. Guy turns around, it's not Muhammad, right? And <laughs> Hate that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Howard hates that because he's like, you guys think all Asians look the same, you know? Because we, we have actually had, we have a mutual friend that literally was at the gas station, was like, hey, Howard, what's up, man? And the guy just kind of looked at him. He's like, Howard, no, you're not, you're not Howard. <laughs> and Howard was like, you think all Asians look the same? <laughs>
there's probably a little bit of truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that where yeah. that happens yeah, in right. every culture both ways. Just right. Oh, it right, does right. because Koreans. I worked in a Korean church, and they're like, "You all, you white people look the same." I'm like, "Yeah, it's, it's, it goes all the, all the way across all the cultural boundaries." <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry, total distraction. We're offending everybody today. Okay, so Muhammad, go ahead. <laughs> so he puts his hand on this guy's shoulder and says, "Muhammad." It, so it's the guy turns around. And he goes, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And he, he starts interacting. He goes, oh, I thought you were Muhammad, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember. That. And then the guy, the guy said, oh, um, he said, oh, you teach, you talk about spirit. I don't know how the conversation went. Anyway, this is what happens. The guy pulls out a scroll. A real said, scroll? A, a real scroll. Okay. Like a roll. Well, I don't know if it's a scroll. It was a rolled up piece of paper. Okay. I don't know if it was actually a scroll. Scrollish. It was scrollish. It was scrollish. Right. Scroll-like. Scroll-like. Yeah. Right. It could have been a scroll, but... And he says, the guy says, I'm looking for someone who can talk to me about this man. He opens the picture, and it's a picture of Jesus. Get out of here. <laughs> yes. Al-Masih. And, I mean, these are the kind of divine you, you appointments. You said Isa al-Masih. you got to explain that. Uh, Jesus the Messiah. This Je- is the, the Arabic term yes. that Muslims would know right. Jesus as. As right. he's revealed in the Quran for a Muslim, it is Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah. This man shows up with a squirrel. A squirrel. <laughs> a squirrel. A squirrel. Uh, shows up with a scroll, a s- un- unrolls this thing, and says, "I'm looking for somebody who can tell me about Isa al Masih." Yeah, I mean, these are the crazy kind of things that are happening. This um, is straight out of the New Testament. Straight out of the New Testament. These kind of stories. Um, you know, there's also spiritual warfare. So, you know, we've had teammates who have had really great conversations with imams, and and where the imam says, "Oh, can you please come and teach?" The Injil, which is the, you know, the Gospels, that's the word in the Quran, in in the mosque. And so open doors and then spiritual warfare comes in and there might be someone else who, you know, completely makes it, closes the doors on this. So this is like ministry in any area, but there's incredible receptivity um, by Muslims to, to talk about spiritual things, to talk about Jesus, to talk about the Gospel. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just really exciting to be a part of it. In closing, is there anything that you would like to challenge our listeners with? Uh, The big thing I would challenge is that the nations are here. The nations are here, and we need to view ourselves as citizens of heaven. And the only reason I say that is because of this false patriotism that people have. View ourselves as not citizens of a certain nation, but citizens of heaven and our our calling is to be an ambassador to the nations, that we are bringing the gospel. And the fact that God is opening the doors to bring the nations to us is just an opportunity that we can't let pass. And we need to be intentional about befriending the foreigner and bringing the gospel. I think that's a good good word, Kevin, because when we look at the scripture, we see that the, the Babylonian exile is what spread the Jews throughout all those nations so that they could come back in Acts and they could hear the gospel. And then in Acts chapter two, we can see nations from under heaven, uh, every nation from under heaven. And then we see the Roman empire and the spreading of the Roman empire and the Roman soldiers hearing the gospel and migration movements happening there. And then when we look throughout history, there's all of these things continually happening. And hopefully when people look back at this time in history, they will say that God spread the nations out and that they came to the United States and they met Christ. Amen. That's it. The nations are here. Kevin, thank you so much for coming in. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, this was pretty awesome. We're going to put a link uh, to your website. You you have a website, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to put a, li- New a York, link. New York City International Project dot org. Dot org. That's a good. good yeah, one. that's right. the other challenge, right? Come to New York City. 
Oh yeah, amen. Come and and, and the equip uh, program. Anybody can come to that. Equip program. Anybody can come to it. It's a ten month training. Ten months. Wow. It's this really intense. It's really ten months of cross cultural ministry. So don't you don't have to think of it as a training. You come. Work, you can work with unreached people groups for a year, and we'll give you training. You come just as you are. Now, you guys have also partnered with Columbia International University for people that want to do their master's degree in the field, that want to live in New York City, serve for a year, and get their master's degree through CIU online, correct? Absolutely. You can you can oh, come, cool. be a part of the training, really being part of teams, reaching out, doing hands-on ministry, reaching Muslims, and getting a master's in Muslim studies or a master's in intercultural studies from CIU at the same time. Wow, that's so cool. Um, listeners, thank you for listening. This is Truth About Muslims. And um, check us out on iTunes. Write reviews. We got 18 so far, and they're all good. Um, we're w- still waiting for some hate. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. I do have to share one quick story about the hate. Um, I was really encouraged by a friend at church the other day. He said, uh, hey, man, listening to your podcast, I'm loving it. He said, I am circulating it to so many friends. And I was like, oh, that's great, man. He goes, well, no, nah, yeah, sort of. He's like, they all hate you guys. But, you know, <laughs> he's like, he's like, but don't worry. You would want to be hated by these people. He said, the good thing is they're listening and they're they're reconsidering some of the things. But the vast majority of them still hate you. So I was like, oh, okay. I still slept. But anyway. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, tune in next week. Uh, Thanks.